just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hello. I forget what we say. <laughs> okay, I'll start because I don't know. No, 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 I got this. Okay. Hello. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. You didn't say your name. Hi, I'm Michelle. <laughs> and I'm Kirsten. Welcome to our podcast. True Crimes and Story Times. And today, I'm doing my true crime episode. Yes, you had to think yeah, about that for a second. Yeah. Apparently, I forgot what I'm doing today. It's a Christmas one. Christmas is coming up. Yep, so we're doing a Christmas-themed case. Well, by the time this is this is uploaded... Oh, yeah, it'll be, like be uploaded Christmas, Christmas Eve, yeah. yeah. This is the case of the Sauter family. Don't know if you ever heard of it. It sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you what it was about. Well, it takes place in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Fayetteville was and is a small town with a main street that doesn't run longer than 100 yards. Dang, that's small. That's like a football field. Yeah. On the night before Christmas, 1945... Twas all through the house. Sorry. <laughs> Twas all through the house. Isn't that how the story goes? No. Uh, Twas, Twas, the, Twas night the night before <laughs> Christmas and all through the house. You knew what I meant. Oh my god. Twas... What did you say? I already forgot. Twas all through the house. <laughs> Sorry. All right. All Continue. Right. Anyways, <clears throat> let me get it together. Twas the night before Christmas in 1945. Yes. <laughs> George and Jenny Sauter and nine of their ten children went to sleep. One son was away in the army at this time. That was going to be my next question. Around 1 a.m., a fire broke out. George and Jenny and four of their children escaped, but the other five were never seen again. So, did they just... Never mind. <laughs> Just wait. I'll tell you the story. I was going to say, did they just pick their favorites? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Is that what you think about? No. Jeffrey or Evelyn? Which one? Neither. You're going to leave them both in? <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. Jesus. Neither is my favorite. They're both equally loved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, George had tried to save them, breaking a window to re-enter the house, slicing his arm. He could see nothing through the smoke and fire, which had swept through all of the downstairs rooms, living and dining room, kitchen, office, and his and Jenny's bedroom. He took frantic stock of what he knew. Two-year-old Sylvia, whose crib was in their bedroom, was safe outside, as was 17-year-old Marion and two sons, 23-year-old John and 16-year-old George Jr., who had fled the upstairs bedroom they shared, singeing their hair on the way out. He figured Maurice, Martha, Louis, or Louise, I'm not really sure. Louis. Louis. Jenny and Betty still had to be up there, cowering in two bedrooms on either end of the hallway, separated by a staircase that was now engulfed in flames. He raced back outside, hoping to reach them through the upstairs windows, but the ladder he always kept propped up against the house was strangely missing. Strangely. How convenient. 
An idea struck. He would drive one of his two coal trucks up to the house and climb it to reach the windows. But even though they'd functioned perfectly the day before, neither would start now. How convenient. He ransacked his mind for another option. He tried to scoop the water from a rain barrel, but found it frozen solid. Of course, this guy can't catch a break. No. Five of his children were stuck somewhere inside. His daughter Marion sprinted to a neighbor's home to call the Fayetteville Fire Department, but couldn't get any operator response. A neighbor who saw the blaze made a call from a nearby tavern, but again, no operator responded. What is going on? Is it because the, ca- the town is so small? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, but it's you'd also think Christmas somebody Eve, would be there. Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't know. But being married to a firefighter, mm-hmm. Christmas is their most popular time. Really? Yes. Hmm. Like, I think one year they had a fire, like, literally on Christmas Day. And, like, the... Is it I because think, of all the cooking or what? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I really don't. It's interesting. Maybe it's the fireplaces. People at their fire pr- fireplaces for Christmas. Yeah, that's true. But I think he literally had one, like, in the early, early hours or the mm-hmm. late hours. I know it was dark out. It was very cold. People, you're supposed to get your chimneys checked before mm-hmm. you start your fires Clean for the year. Stuff. Clean your chimneys before you light it. That mm-hmm. is, that's a fire hazard. Anywho. Um, the neighbor drove into town and tracked down Fire Chief F.J. Morris, who initiated Fayetteville's version of a fire alarm. A phone tree system whereby one firefighter phoned another who phoned another. The fire department was only two and a half miles away, but the crew didn't arrive until 8 a.m., by which point the Sodder's home had completely burned down. Wow. Yeah, like, doesn't a fire double every 30 seconds? It it travels fast once yeah. it's going. It's, yeah. I mean, I did the firefighting training, just didn't mm-hmm. want to really be a firefighter, but. It's a scary thing, I bet. Yeah. Um, George and Jenny assumed that five of their children were dead. A search of the grounds on Christmas Day turned up no trace of remains. Chief Morris suggested that the blaze had been hot enough to completely cremate the bodies. But what about the, like, teeth? The bones? Well, I mean, if you cremate a body, yeah. But, like, cremation takes days. Right. You can't just... There had to be some kind of leftovers. Like, you can't just burn a house for 45 minutes and all the bones are going to be gone. Right. That's not how it works. Right. You at least find pieces of bones. Mm-hmm. Or I know. Fragments, something. Like in in when somebody is cremated, there are still bits of bone mm-hmm. that you can see. Yeah. So like th- there had to have been something. Bone like withholds up to fire like tremendously. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Um, a state police inspector combed the rubble and attributed the fire to faulty wiring. George covered the basement with five feet of dirt, intending to preserve the site as a memorial. The coroner's office issued five death certificates just before the new year, attributing the case, the causes to fire or suffocation. So they had no proof, but they, they served just out. They dismissed it. Yeah. But the Sodders had begun to wonder if their children were still alive. George Sodder was born Giorgio Sadu in Tula, Sardinia in 1895 and immigrated to the United States in 1908 when he was 13. An older brother who had accompanied him to Ellis Island immediately returned to Italy, leaving George on his own. He found work on the Pennsylvania railroads carrying water and supplies to the laborers, and after a few years moved to Smithers, West Virginia. 
Smart and ambitious, he worked as a driver and then launched his own trucking company, hauling dirt for construction and later freight and coal. One day, he walked into a local store called The Music Box and met the owner's daughter, Jenny Cepriani, who had come over from Italy when she was three. They married and had 10 children between 1923 and 1943 and settled in Fayetteville, West Virginia, an Appalachia town with a small but active Italian immigrant community. The Sodders were, said one country, gosh, I can't read. The Sodders were, said one county magistrate, one of the most respected middle-class families around. George held strong opinions about everything, from business to current events and politics. He never explained what happened back in Italy to make him want to leave. <laughs> yeah. The Sodders planted flowers across the space where their house had stood and began to stitch together a series of odd moments leading up to the fire. There was a stranger who appeared at the home a few months earlier back in fall, asking about hauling work. <laughs> he meandered the, to the back of the house, pointed to two separate fuse boxes, and said, This is going to cause a fire someday. Hmm. Strange, George thought, especially since he had just had the wiring checked by a local power company, which pronounced it in fine condition. So. Red flag. Is it the power company or is it the person? I don't know. I think the power company can't tell you that it's it's in fine condition if it's not because it is yeah. a fire hazard. I can't. I don't. Right. I think it's their job to tell you. Right. Like it's literally. It's probably illegal. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I don't know why it wouldn't be. Like, that's literally life and death. Yeah. Obviously. Around the same time, another man tried to sell the family life insurance and became irate when George declined. Your goddamn house is going to go up in smoke, he warned, and your children are going to be destroyed. You're going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Like Benito Mussolini? Yeah. Um, the, uh... Italian like, uh, like mob. Oh, 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 oh. Italian mob leader. Yes, yes, yes. George was indeed outspoken about his dislike for the Italian dictator, occasionally engaging in heated arguments with other members of Fayetteville's Italian community, and at the time didn't take the man's threats seriously. I'm sorry, but I'm get- if I'm getting threats from an Italian mob leader... Um, I'm gonna be... I'm out. Yeah. And... For two different people to tell you that your house is going to go up in smoke or, like, catch fire, that's A forewarning or something. Yeah. Yeah. The older Sodder sons also recalled something peculiar. Just before Christmas, they noticed a man parked along U.S. Highway 21, intently watching the younger kids as they came home from school. Creepy. Yeah. Around 12.30 Christmas morning, after the children had opened a few presents and everyone had gone to sleep, the telephone rung. Jenny rushed to answer it. An unfamiliar female voice asked for an unfamiliar name. There was laughter and glasses clinking in the background, Jenny said. You have the wrong number, and hung up. Tiptoeing back to bed, she noticed that all of the downstairs lights were still on and the curtains open. The front door was unlocked. She saw Marion asleep on the sofa in the living room and assumed that the other kids were upstairs in bed. She turned out the lights, closed the curtains, locked the door, and returned to her room. She had just begun to doze when she heard one sharp, loud bang on the roof, and then a rolling noise. An hour later, she was rused once again, this time by heavy smoke curling into her room. 
Jenny couldn't understand how five children could perish in a fire and leave no bones, no flesh, nothing. Same, Jenny, same. Yep. Mm -hmm. She conducted a private experiment, burning animal bones, chicken bones, beef joints, pork chop bones, to see if the fire consumed them. Each time, she was left with a heap of charred bones. She knew that remnants of various household appliances had been found in the burned-out basement still identifiable. An employee at a crematorium informed her that bones remain after bodies are burned for two hours at 2,000 degrees. Their house was destroyed in 45 minutes. So it was would take a lot longer for her bones to break mm-hmm. down. Well, that and who knows if her house was at 2,000 degrees. Right. I don't know how how hot it gets i know it gets pretty hot but i don't know how yeah i'm not sure either the collection of odd moments grew a telephone repairman told the solders that their lines appeared to have been cut not burned Mm. so this sounds pretty planned to me yeah they realized that if the fire had been electrical the result of faulty wiring as the official report stated then the power would have been dead so how to explain the lighted downstairs rooms this is true. A witness came forward claiming he saw a man at the fire scene taking a block and tackle used for removing car engines. Could he be the reason George's trucks refused to start? Could be. Could be. But also, like, I feel like people report and say that things happen when they didn't. Like, maybe I saw it. Well, it's like, like some people I'm... just want attention of themselves. Like, they just want to report something so they can have some tor- sort of attention. It happens in a lot of cases. Especially if, like, there's a reward involved. People be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely saw so-and-so do whatever just so they could, you Mm -hmm. know, get a piece of the reward. It's stupid. But don't report if you don't actually have true evidence. One day, while the family was visiting the site, Sylvia found a hard rubber object in the yard. Jenny recalled hearing the hard thud on the roof, the rolling sound. George concluded it was the napalm a, quote, pineapple bomb of the type used in warfare. And I looked up what pineapple bomb was because I really didn't know. And it's an American-made fragmentation grenade. It was a long-range weapon of Al Capone's gang. Hmm. It's just like a grenade. Yeah. Then came the reports of sightings. A woman claimed to have seen the missing children peering from a passing car while the fire was in progress. A woman operating a tourist shop between Fayetteville and Charleston, some 50 miles west, said she saw the children the morning after the fire. I served them breakfast, she told police. There was a car with Florida license plate at the tourist court, too. Mm. Why did you not report this sooner? Interesting. Well, I guess if the news wasn't out, she wouldn't have been able to report it sooner, but... Right, she might have just been like, oh, they're eating breakfast. Mm -hmm. But I feel like your gut instinct is like, ooh, something's off. Mm Mm-hmm. A woman at a Charleston hotel saw the children's photos in a newspaper and said she had seen four of the five a week after the fire. The children were accompanied by two women and two men, all of Italian extraction, she said in a statement. I do not remember the exact date. However, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the men appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to these children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I said nothing more. They left early the next morning. So I wonder if these men, like, kidnapped the children. Mm-hmm. Cut as, the like, wires. you know, ransom. Yeah. Well, that and, like, 
who knows sex trafficking i mean i'm sure there was sex trafficking going on this early Mm -hmm. or it could be to get back at george yes because he's you said he was like talking smack about some dictator dictators in 1947, George and Jenny sent a letter about the case to the Federal Bureau of Bureau, 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 to the Federal Bureau to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, FBI, and received a. Le- <laughs> you good, buddy? Yes, I'm fine. In 1947, George and Jenny sent a letter about the case to the Federal. <laughs> Just say FBI. (laughs) Okay, okay. I wanted to try. In 1947, George and Jenny sent a letter about the case to the FBI and received a reply from J. Edgar Hoover. Although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of the Bureau. I said it. There you go. How come I can say investigative jurisdiction, but I can't say Bureau? (laughs) It tripped me up like five it's times. Bureau. I'm not saying Bureau. it. Bureau. Sorry. <laughs> Hoover's agents said that they would assist if they could get permission from the local authorities, but the Fayetteville Police and Fire Departments declined the offer. So many police departments do this, I feel like. Why would they do that? It's like in so many cases. They're like, no, nah, we don't need the FBI's help, but like, why not have more help? Yeah. like it's pride. Especially when... You don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. That's what the FBI is for. Yeah, it's strictly pride. They, they're like, we got this. Yeah, we got it under Obviously control. Obviously not. But next, the Sodders turned to a private investigator named C. C. Tinsley, who discovered that the insurance salesman who had threatened George was a member of the coroner's jury that deemed the fire accidental. Hmm. He also heard a curious story from the Fayetteville minister about F. J. Morris, the fire chief. Although Morris had claimed no remains were found, he supposedly confided that he discovered a heart in the ashes. He hid it inside a dynamite box and buried it at the scene. Okay, how are you going to find a heart but no bones? Right. That's bullshit. Like, the skin and organs and everything, yeah, they could have been, like, completely destroyed. But the bones are so much thicker and denser. Mm -hmm. But you found a heart. Right. And and also, bones. it's making me sit here and think, okay, so... They don't want help from the FBI. This person is claiming he found a heart at the scene. Um, the insurance salesman was someone of the coroner's jury. Mm, it's starting to add up here that this is a cover-up. Wait, isn't that illegal, though? If you know somebody on the jury, like, they're not supposed to, like, be there? Like, the people of the jury are he not was just trying to... to sell him insurance, so I don't know if it really matters. And I don't think it's a... It's the coroner's jury. I don't know. So I don't mean. I don't know what maybe, the difference is. I don't really know what the difference is either, but I don't think he was on the jury, like, oh, of the case. Oh, oh. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's okay, something I get different. It yeah. I get it now. So Tinsley persuaded Morris to show them the spot. Together, they dug up the box and took it straight to a local funeral director who poked and prodded the quote-unquote heart and concluded it was a beef liver untouched by the fire. Why was there a beef liver in the house? Soon afterwards, the Sodders heard rumors that the fire chief had told others that the contents of the box had not been found in the fire at all, that he had buried the beef liver in the rubble in the hope that finding any remains would placate the family enough to stop the investigation. So he thought that the family was going to be like, oh, it's a heart. Oh, they died in the fire. Yeah. 
And also, is a liver does not look like a heart. And, like, obviously, they're going to find out that it's not a heart. You think they're just going to be like, mm, it's a no evidence. Meat. I'm like, just going to assume this is a heart. What is this fire chief? Shady, if you ask me. Yeah. This whole thing is shady. Red flags everywhere. Mm-hmm. Over the next few years, the tips and leads continued to come. George saw a newspaper photo of school children in New York City and was convinced that one of them was his daughter, Betty. He drove to Manhattan in search of the child, but her parents refused to speak to him. In August 1949, the Sodders decided to mount a new search at the fire scene and brought in a Washington, D.C. pathologist named Oscar B. Hunter. The excavation was thorough, uncovering several small objects, damaged coins, a partly burned dictionary, and several shards of vertebrae. Hunter sent the bones to the Smithsonian Institution, which issued, wish, wish. Wish, which issued the following report. The human bones consist of four lumbar vertebrae belonging to one individual. Since the transver- transverse recesses are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. The top limit of age should be about 22, since the centra, which normally fuse at 23, are still unfused. On this basis, the bones show greater skeletal maturation maturation, yeah, than one would expect for a 14-year-old boy, the oldest missing solder child. It is, however, possible, although not probable, for a boy 14 and a half years old to show 16 to 17 maturation. So basically what he was saying is the remains that was found are not of the missing children. They don't match up anyways. Right. Could be a possibility. Could be the 14-year-old, but probably not. Probably not. The vertebrae showed no evidence that they had been exposed to fire, the report said. It is very strange that no other bones were found in the allegedly careful evacuation of the basement and the house. So, I just hit myself in the face with the mic. Nice. (laughs) Did you see that? I Mm -hmm. literally went. Nice. Noting that the house reportedly burned for only about a half an hour or so, it said that one would expect to find the full skeletons of the five children rather than only four vertebrae, which makes sense. Yeah, because there's no way that full skeletons all disintegrated in 45 minutes. Right. The bones, the report concluded, were most likely in the supply of dirt George used to fill in the basement to create this memorial for his children. So where the hell did he get this dirt? And why is there vertebrae? And it came from, I mean, a human. It's a human vertebrae. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where the hell did he get this dirt? And why is there human vertebrae in it? That's suspicious. The Smithsonian report prompted two hearings at the Capitol in Charleston, after which Governor Oki L. Patterson and State Police Superintendent W.E. Burchett told the Sodders their search was hopeless and declared the case closed. bullshit they don't know anything exactly they literally have no idea where their kids went well that and how do you say it's hopeless there's more you can do you're just not trying exactly undeterred george and jenny erected the billboard along route 16 and passed out flyers offering a 5,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of their children 5,000 is a lot of money back then yeah and they soon increased it to the amount of 10,000 they just want their kids yeah, literally. Like, they'll do anything. Give any amount of money. Right. A letter arrived from a woman in St. Louis saying the oldest girl, Martha, was in a convent there. What's a convent? Like a Um, I just school? think it's like a place to stay. Mm. I'm not really sure. 
kind of want to look it up real quick. Hold on. I think it's like a like a a girl's school. A Christian community under monastic views, especially one of nuns. Mm, okay, oh, yeah. Here you go. A school, especially one for girls, attached to and run by a convent. So basically, a nun school. Gotcha. Sorry, I'm trying to get back to where I was. It's okay. Another tip came from Texas, where a patron in a bar overheard an incriminating conversation about a long-ago Christmas Eve fire in West Virginia. Someone in Florida claimed the children were staying with a distant relative of Jenny's. Excuse me. If Jenny knew where her kids were, she would be going to get them. Right. I know I would. They wouldn't be putting in all this effort. Right, so that... If their kids were just staying... That doesn't make sense. No, and why would they pay somebody else money if they know where their kids are? Right. George traveled to investigate each lead, always returning home without any answers. In 1968, more than 20 years after the fire, Jenny went to get the mail and found an envelope addressed only to her. It was postmarked in Kentucky, but had no return address. Inside was a photo of a man in his mid-20s. On its flip side, a cryptic, handwritten note read, Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie. I don't know what that is. A90132 or 35. She and George couldn't deny the resemblance to their Louis, who was nine at the time of the fire. Beyond the obvious similarities, dark curly hair, dark brown eyes, they had the same straight, strong nose, the same upward tilt of the left eyebrow. Once again, they hired a bri- a private, a private. I can't talk today or any day for that matter. Once again, they hired a private detective and sent him to Kentucky. They never heard from him again. Wow. Yeah. So he probably got paid and left. That or he was trying to investigate and ca- oh, caught yeah. on to something that he wasn't supposed to know. Mm, he was on to something and they mm-hmm. got rid of him, whoever it is. The Sodders feared that if they published a letter or the name of the town on the postmark, they might harm their son. Instead, they amended the billboard to include the updated image of Lewis and hung an enlarged version over the fireplace. Time is running out for us, George said in an interview, but we only want to know. If they did die in the fire, we want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. He died a year later in 1968, still hoping for a break in the case. That's sad. Yeah, so he died without knowing where his children went or if they were dead. Mm-hmm. Jenny erected a fence around her property and began adding rooms to her home, building layer after layer between her and the outside. Since the fire, she had worn black exclusively as a sign of mourning and continued to do so until her own death in 1989. She died almost 20 years, well, more than 20 years after George. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Imagine living 20 years without your husband after you're already missing, like, half of your children. Right. Still not knowing where they're at. Terrible. Being heartbroken about your kids and then also Mm -hmm. being heartbroken about your husband dying. I don't know how she lived 20 more years. I don't think I would Mm -mm. survive. The billboard finally came down. Her children and grandchildren continued the investigation and came up with theories of their own. The local mafia had tried to recruit him and he declined. Like, recruit George. And he was like, no. So they're like, okay, we're going to burn down your house and take your children. If you won't join the mafia, they will. They tried to extort money from him, and he refused. The children were kidnapped. Kidnapped? Kidnapped. Oh, my good lord. It's okay. The children were kidnapped by someone they knew. 
Someone who burst into the unlocked front door told them about the fire and offered to take them someplace safe. They may not have survived the night. If they had, and if they lived for decades, if it really was Lewis in that photograph, they failed to contact their parents only because they wanted to protect them. The youngest and last surviving solder child, Sylvia, Sylvia, is now 69 and doesn't believe her siblings perished in the fire. When time permits, she visits crime sleuthing websites and engages with people still interested in her family's mystery. Her very first memories of that are of that night in 1945 when she was two years old. She will never forget the sight of her father bleeding or the terrible symphony of everyone's screams, and she is no closer now to understanding why. That's messed up. Yeah. And we'll probably never know what happened. Mm-hmm. A Christmas mystery. Mm-hmm. I think my theory mm-hmm. is the one where um, the mafia kidnapped the children. Right. I think the mafia hired the people to, you know, go tell him about his house going up in flames mm-hmm. to try and scare him. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work. He yeah. still wouldn't join the mafia. Right. And so they took his children instead and burned down the house as kind of like a F you. Yeah. Maybe he, they didn't necessarily want the kids to die, but like they wanted something out of it to profit right. something out of it. Yeah. I just think it's crazy that someone would do that to someone, I guess. I mean, there are sick people out there, obviously, that we know from this pot, like we know from researching for this podcast, mm-hmm. but like people that take people's kids, man. I mean, I definitely don't think they died in the fire. Oh, no. There's, there's no, no evidence that they did. There would be something. Yeah, there's no way in hell that they died in that fire. There's no bones. No. Nope. And then I wonder what the fire chief had to do with it. Is he involved in the mafia as well? And that's why the cover-up is there? And that's why they didn't want the FBI involved? Maybe the mafia came up to him and was like, this is going to happen and you're going to help cover it up. Pay I mean, you don't, you don't mess with the mafia. Yeah. I mean. I mean, especially in this time. It yeah. was probably like well like more I'm trying to think of the word like more prominent well that and more it was well-known. more like crooked like the police were oh, more yeah. crooked and mm-hmm. firefighters were more crooked you could probably easily pay them off because back then there wasn't dna evidence there wasn't evidence of really much of anything you know have you ever seen the movie the irishman on netflix yes it's I about think the I mafia have. it's really good but it shows kind of like behind what actually happens in the mafia and how they get away with so much stuff Mm -hmm. it's a really good movie a lot of people are just crooked and will take money for anything Mm -hmm. sadly they'll do whatever well i mean i guess if the mafia threatens to kill you if you don't do something then and they can do it without getting caught Mm -hmm. and you know that Mm -hmm. it's just sad it's very sad i I think I, i have i did have heard about this case but not in as much detail as that yeah so Hopefully, um, hopefully the kids were alive and they got to live out a decent life. You know, like, even if it wasn't with their parents and their parents never knew if they were alive or not. I just hope nothing bad happened to them. Yeah. They well, were, that's it. They were probably just as scared as the parents. Oh, I'm sure. Wanted to keep the parents safe. Yeah. So that's why they didn't contact them. Well, if they got kidnapped by the mafia, I'm sure the mafia was like, if you ever contact your parents, I'll kill them. I know where they are. Yep. Especially when they were so open about their kids, wanting to find their kids. I'm sure a lot of people knew where they resided. Yeah, for sure. So. That was a good one. That's it. That was an interesting one. Well, guys, I hope you enjoy your Christmas.
Sorry to bring you down. Yep. Merry, Merry Christmas. Yep. Well, happy holidays, whatever, whatever, whatever you, you celebrate. Yeah, whatever you like to say. But we will see you next week. Yep. Wednesday and Friday. Be on the lookout for our episodes. And check out Kirsten's Storytime episode of the week. It should have released a couple days ago. Yes. So. Go All right, give guys. It a listen. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.